Warning, this conversation contains adult themes and language. Cheers! Hello, I'm Billy Buttery, and this is Food is Culture, a podcast. Today's guest is a fucking great guy. Jeremy Potvin is a fantastic cook. He can tell you the best way to make anything. Gifted bread baker, cool father, fantastic businessman, and one hell of drinking buddy. I love our chat today. We reminisce about Bemelman's and other Toronto gems from the 80s and 90s. Jeremy's a friend of my husband's, and it's always fun to hang out with him. Whether we're hanging out in his backyard or chilling poolside, sipping some obnoxious rosé, there's guaranteed to be some good laughs. And beyond that, Jeremy is an amazing storyteller. I think I learned something every time we hang out. A little peek into my childhood. I ate-ish at most of the restaurants Jeremy talks about. I was born in 1987. My parents used to say that I ate and slept in the best restaurants in the city. My parents would bring me with them to dinner. They would request a booth. And when I was tired, they would roll up a couple jackets for me to use as a pillow. And I would sleep there. Wild times. (laughs) I hope you'll enjoy this chat. And if you want some more information on the Toronto food scene in the 80s, I'll link an article or two in the show notes. Cheers. Jeremy, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you. My pleasure to be here. Are you are you enjoying something to drink? Did you have just have dinner? I just had dinner. I made a couple of smash burgers, which mm. I've been sort of eyeballing. I was going to do, I was going to barbecue. I have two different types of burgers I made. Smash burgers, which everyone loves making smash burgers. Mm-hmm. But barbecued burgers, like you know when you go to someone's house and like, oh, barbecue, great. And they're going to do burgers. Mm-hmm. And they hand you a burger and it's like this sort of round thing with like a puffed up middle. Yeah. Like everyone's barbecue burger is the fucking same. Yeah. It's got this <laughs> puffy middle to it. And you're like, this is horrible. Why would you even give this to me? I want to go home. Yeah. And the secret to great barbecue burgers is to take olive oil on a wood on your wooden cutting board. Mm-hmm. Take like, you know, your 80 gram, typical 80 or 100 gram sort of burger and pound it almost impossibly flat. And wide, way wider than your bun. Okay. Super, super thin, super wide, salt it. And you got to be good. Right? You got to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Incredibly hot barbecue. And you need a decent spatula to get it off that wooden um, cutting board later. Yeah. But like one minute per side on an incredibly hot barbecue, it shrinks, you know, just in diameter and it doesn't puff up in the middle that way. Yeah. And it will typically fit your standard Martin's potato bun after that. Amazing. Every time I cook them, people are watching, they go, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? And then I <laughs> hand it to them and they go, this is the best barbecue burger I've ever had. I go, that's because you guys all fucking put onions and weird ass shit in your burger <laughs> and you just try to... You try to form it the way you want it at the end. Yeah. And then it turns into this ball. It turns into a meatball. Mm-hmm. And this is the secret. You have to pound it so flat and keep it together. Mm-hmm. And you have to be really good with the spatula to get it off. One side, flip it, and you're good to go. Um, you know, you got to get whatever cheese you like. Because it should only be craft Singles. Because that's how you do a barbecue burger. But <laughs> that's perfect. So that was my plan tonight was to do that. Okay. But... I ended up having to read this contract for two hours. My son never showed up. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll just do What's Yeah, no, he just, I don't know. He comes and goes as he pleases. <laughs> um, but I was doing, I was going to do these, my, like, I love doing burgers I got on the barbecue. Mm-hmm. But no one was awesome. here. And I just, I crushed two hours reading this stupid contract. It wasn't a stupid contract. It's actually a fantastic contract, but it was just, you know, that I had to do it at night when I wanted to be cooking. Yeah. Right. Really get it done. It's just just stupid. Um, So I had 10 minutes to make dinner before we did this. And so I just Mm -hmm. did smash burgers. It was good. And in answer to your first question, I have a Manhattan, I'm a king size Mm -hmm. Manhattan. Amazing. Yes. So I'm 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 properly prepped for this this podcast. (laughs) To talk about food. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. I um I don't know if you listened to the episode with the Italian uh one of my, the earlier Italian episodes, but Italians often greet each other by saying "Hi, mangiato bene," and it's um "How have you eaten today? Have you eaten well today?" And I just love that. So it's now the way I greet everybody. <laughs> that sounds that actually sounds really sexy. I'm going to start using that almost immediately. Right, it's the best. So I want to dive in and ask you um how do you define your cultural background? Well, it depends if I'm looking in the mirror or if I'm looking at my 23andMe report because, you know, I look <laughs> I look like a shipwreck pirate, but I'm as white as A handsome shipwreck pirate. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah oh, thank you. <laughs> but but I, I'm, I'm as white as you can get. I'm like, 
I'm a Chad. I, I, I'm like a mean guy in an eighties movie. Um, I did the, the, you know, the 23 and me thing. And I'm like, I am like British Irish, although I have a French last name. I only have like, I think 2% French in me, but I'm like, I'm English Irish. They're like straight up plus 95%. Um, very low Neanderthal. Yeah, no, it's I'm, I'm white. <laughs> and did you grow up in Toronto? Where did you grow up? So yeah, sort of. I grew up in Cambridge, Ontario. My parents got divorced when I was five. My dad immediately bounced to Toronto. Mm-hmm. So back in the seventies, when you could just throw three kids aged like four, five, and seven on a fucking bus to throw by themselves <laughs> in Toronto. You just stick them on a bus and hopefully another parent happens to be at the receiving bus, you know, route in, which my dad often was. So we would go into Toronto every other weekend and hang out with my dad. So we kind of grew up in two cities. It was kind of fun. We have this like small town Cambridge vibe thing going on. Mm-hmm. And we come in on the weekend and, you know, I don't really remember a lot of the times when we were super young. And I think actually my dad lived in Cambridge for a couple of years. So it, it was, I was probably, I was probably closer to like, you know, eight, nine years old. We started going into Toronto on the weekends and his company was in, was in Cambridge. So he would typically, we would, my mother would drop us off at his place at the company on, on, on a Friday night. We just drive in, mm-hmm. but my memories are of Toronto in the eighties, mm-hmm. which is exactly everything you're imagining. <laughs> yeah we lived in the Manulife center which was steps away from yorkville so my old yorkville head was, yeah yorkville was just a hub of the 80s mm-hmm. and like you know brunch at um bemelman's <gasps> oh my god out. i went to bemelman's like i grew up at bemelman's bemelman's had the best eggs benedict the world has ever seen oh my goodness and that back little patio garden was so fantastic yeah, those spaghetti fries oh, so yes. you want to know fun fact of toronto mm-hmm when Over Easy first opened, the first one on Bloor Street, down just west of University, um, mm-hmm. on that north side. I think it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. But when I went in there, the, when it was first, when it was just a one restaurant, it was pretty special. And I would have the Eggs Benedict, and I'm like, fuck me. These are, these are incredible. This is the best, best Eggs Benedict I've had since, since Bellman's. Mm-hmm. And I was like 12, 13, 14, 15 when Bellman's, like in the heyday, where we go literally every weekend. Mm-hmm. Then I was up. Uh, a friend's place back when I was dating Kay Makinson, we're up at um, James Aiken, like her sister's boyfriend, husband, um, partner um, up at his island. Mm-hmm. And there's this guy, Christian Baum. And I'm talking to him and I go, oh, you're Tom Christian Baum's son. Oh my God. You know, mm-hmm. Bemelman's? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, Bemelman's? I go, I used to live there. Mm-hmm. And I go, I'm like, that place had the best eggs Benedict in the world. And I go, that I've found something very close to it and I just can't get enough of it. And it's a place called Over Easy. And he goes, that's my restaurant. And the <gasps> recipe is my dad's recipe. That is the Bemelman's Eggs Benedict. Crazy. Now, it's not the same now. Mm-hmm. But when he first opened that hollandaise sauce, it was unmistakable that that was the Bemelman's recipe. Yeah, I can almost taste it now. I mean, I haven't had right. it since I was... A little kid, because that's where Tiffany's is now, right? No, no. So Tiffany's moved across the street, but it's it, where Tiffany's was. Yes, it was yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I totally remember that. I mean, it closed down. What in like the early nineties? Forever, forever ago. I remember when yeah. it closed down. Noodles up around the corner on um, um, University, just north of Bloor. Yeah, there was. Oh, oh my god! Prego. Chibos up on Young Street, up by Roxton. There. Yeah. Which is now essentially Opus on Prince Arthur because of the um, the D, the GM of Chibos. Well, after that closed down, they ripped the whole block down. He w- he opened up Opus on Prince Arthur, and oh, wow. um, yeah, old so, Toronto restaurant history. Anyhow, so you, yeah, yeah, I grew up in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Spent only weekends in Toronto, so I got to have this small town sort of thing with my parents and like a traditional sort of family. And then I had this rock star dad who was just like this. 80s Gordon Gecko maniac, just a different girlfriend. I would every weekend, and like you know, <laughs> they're hanging out, and I'm like, you know, we're sitting there thinking back, and I'm like, remember when Dad would go like do this and do that? Like he was 100 percent doing cocaine, like <laughs> like 100. percent It was the 80s. Like all these people would show up, like, and we would get shuffled off to this bedroom, like, good night, time for the kids to go to bed. Like, okay. I know what yeah. now, now. Now we're like, like fuck. That's what was going on. God damn it! We were right beside it in the eighties and the heyday when they that's invented so it. Yeah, that's so funny. Wow, throwback. Do you have a first memory of food? I mean, those are pretty good childhood memories about food, though. First, 
Yeah, first memory of food. Um, God, you know what? One of my earliest, earliest memories is my favorite breakfast my mom would make for us, which is trying to shuffle us off to school. Get us a, like I went to some private school and I had to walk like 20 minutes to get the bus and take the bus for 45 minutes to go to this private school. So oh, I was geez. just constantly just like trying to get me out the door. You know, you had to get to school for 8.45 and do reverse the math on that. It's like, I'm up, yeah. like the sun's not up. She used to make me fish sticks for breakfast. <laughs> and I swear to God, it's just one of the best food memories because like there is never a time I'm like, oh, damn, my mom made me fish sticks for breakfast. I'm like, fuck yeah, bring me that fish stick for breakfast. It's just like stupid fish sticks with a big glob of mayonnaise. I will wolf this down and I'm going to walk down this horrid street in a blizzard <laughs> waiting for some shitty bus, which my life was in you know, jeopardy the entire 45 minutes on the way to school. <laughs> yeah, that's my earliest food memory of just something I just yeah. like still to this day crave. Just that's the simplicity of just like oven baked fish sticks, which were previously like, I was like, oh no, they're oven baked. Yeah, do you know how much oil those things were fried in before they ended up being flash frozen, <laughs> shoved in a fucking yeah, exactly. you know, Captain Highliner box, and then shipped to the A&P where she would buy them. And I'm, I'm now oven baking them. It's like, this is like an oil stick with fish in it. Yeah, and it's I'm probably it so in. good in the morning, like early mornings on a cold, so good, cold right? day. Like yeah, cold, but you're having these like little hot fish sticks. Like, I don't want fucking cereal. Fuck this Alpen cereal you try to give me. I want fish sticks. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty good. I feel like I almost want that with, like, a poached egg or something in the morning. That'd oh, be like a poached egg, that would have ruined it for me. I, I just straight up, <laughs> I straight up want that, like, that yellowish plate, that plate that everyone had back then in the, in the 80s, that sort of yellow plate, that baked fucking plate. Corn with away. The, like, the black, yeah, with the black rings around it with a pile of fish sticks on it, a glob of mayonnaise and like orange juice or something, I'm sure. And then out the door I go. That's so fun. Was your mom the cook my, growing up? Yeah, she was a cook. And did you go into culinary school or no? You're just, you just love Not cooking. really. So I learned from my mom, like at an early age, I had a big interest in it. And I was always sort of leaning over her shoulder, her, I guess her elbow at that point, just sort of saying, Hey, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. And she was a, you know, she was a crock pot cook, cooker back then. So there's always something in the crock pot or she's cooking something on the stove. But she was a good cook. She did, she did basics really, really well. And they stuck with me. And, you know, you go off to university and you're cooking for yourself. And I was, you know, tried to, you know, I started cutting my teeth back then. And then I came back to Toronto after school. I live with my dad, still in the manual life. <laughs> and I started getting into it then. And a friend of mine, I, I used to work at the store called Over the Rainbow when it was up in Northville. Mm -hmm. And my friend, the manager... She's like, hey, there's this course at George Brown that we should go take together. In mm -hmm. hindsight, I'm pretty sure she was just, you know, trying to cozy up to me because she was a really good cook. She didn't need to take this like cooking 101 course, but she was like, let's go take this. And it was 16 weeks, four hours a night. Wow. And it was just a straight up basics. Like, here's how you make stock. Like the first three courses, mm -hmm. the first three classes was a different stock, like the, every night. Wow. Like, Four hours cooking beef stock. Mm -hmm. And it was like full on wash a chef, do it for probably an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Then everyone goes down into the kitchen and we do it then. Yeah. And it was just like, it was incredible class. And that taught me all the fundamentals. My brother, he was, uh, you know, he's always been in the restaurant business. I went off into the apparel business after school and my brother went into restaurants. So I ended up like, you know, Anton just was just this, is this, this fantastic guy and had all these, you know, incredible friends. And I ended up just hanging out with Anton and all of his chef friends. And that I picked up most of my skills from Anton's friends, mm -hmm. whether Nick Lou, Corey Vitiello, or just everyone in between. Just I learned cooking from hanging out with my brother. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're an amazing cook. I've been lucky enough to eat a couple of your things. And oh my oh, goodness, thanks. so good. And a, an extreme supreme bread maker. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But I'm having, I'm so frustrated with bread right now. My starter is not performing well. I've spent the last three weeks trying to rebuild its health because it's just been, you know, it's gone through some periods of neglect over the last few months. Just like, I don't know. I get like the pandemic's been crazy and I've been it's going crazy. through my own issues and myself for sure. And I, back in November, you know, my, 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 one of my best friends died in October and I just sort of got into a real funk for months. And, you know, it was a tough year last year. Beyonce was mm -hmm. gone. My best friend died. One of my advisors got hit by a truck and was paralyzed. It was just like a fucking brutal year. 
Yeah. And I just, my poor, my poor starter got neglected and it's just not performing well. So I'm like, all right. So about, you know, four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I got the bug. I'm like, okay, that's it. I got a 20 kilogram bag of organic flour from these Mennonites out in Kitchener and, you know, I'm ready to go. And my starter is just like, every time I try to make 11, mm-hmm. it's like, just it's shit. It's horrible. So I'm like, fuck the starter is not doing well. Yeah. So I've been like nurturing the hell out of this thing and it's almost ready to go. So I got probably it's another good. week of just building the health back in this thing. I'm probably yeah. going to give it a dry run this weekend. I'll like, you know what? I'm just going to just do a couple throwaways and just see what, see how it's doing. But yeah, I, I was walking by it the other day and I could smell it. Pro- I go, Oh, okay. There it is. I can smell it. It smells proper now. Okay. That's good. And, um, but the bubbles aren't there and the leavens have been really sort of, you know, not floating the way you want when you're doing a water test. So I've only done it once when I was taking uh, one of the bread classes at George Brown, we had to make it at home and, you know, nurture it for a couple of weeks and bring it in. And that was the only time I ever successfully did it. And it was when we were living, um, our condo downtown and I loved that condo. It was so beautiful. I loved it. And then I've tried a couple times uh, since the pandy started and they've all failed. And at the time we were in a house I didn't like. <laughs> so I was talking to one of my girlfriends who's pretty spiritual and she was like, it's because the starter knows that it's not in a good environment and knows that it's in a hostile environment because you don't like the house. So it's not going to start. <laughs> I honestly think that's true. Yeah, because it's think alive, my, right? My starter was picking up on my like, probably mild depression like it was like a fucking really tough year last year mm-hmm. and by november i was just done like i had been beaten down and i'm like fuck i suck everything sucks this, everything like this is bullshit I'm so, and like this poor starter is just like well i'm going to absorb everything mm-hmm. and uh you know and then you know i started um i started adding it to things like you know if i do pancakes or something i'll add a little bit of the the starter into it and it's just mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's not tasting the same way anyhow the last three weeks, I've been staring at this thing every morning going, listen, motherfucker, you and I, got, <laughs> we got issues. Just tough we're gonna love. Get, we're going to get through it, but you're going to start pulling your weight around here. Well, so, one of my pastry chefs even said that he doesn't like to, when you first start a starter, you need to do it with your hands. Because I was saying I was starting a starter yes. at class and I was doing it with a fork or something. And he was like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. It, we don't we don't use forks. We don't use utensils. You have to use your hands. hands. You have to feel it. You need to give it the energy. And he goes, and not the little bit of bacteria off your hands. <laughs> it's entirely the bacteria in your hands. It's not even the energy. Yeah. It's, you got it. And so the last week I realized, I started reading all my notes and I'm like, fuck. I'm not even doing like step one, my hands. I haven't even used my hands. I've been using a spoon. This is mm-hmm. like I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. So I started using my hands for the last three or four feedings. And now it's like, I just, I literally just checked it before I got on with you. And I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. I can see the bubbles coming. Cause I, I did a really good sort of, I, I split it into two and started testing two different methods. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really much of a difference. So I just put it all back into one, discarded a lot. And then really like, I added my 50 50 in and i mixed the whole thing with my hands mm-hmm. and I can see it now. So I'm like, okay, so it's a week only, no spoon. There's a rule, no spoon for the next week. Yeah. And I bet you I get it back to where I want it to be. Have you named it? Yeah. No, I haven't named it. But yes. it's, you know what? It, it's recently had its fourth birthday. Oh, wow. That's impressive. No, what, I'm wrong. Fifth, wow. fifth birthday. Amazing. And I'm sure it got it la- a lot it of lasted action. Longer, it lasted longer than my engagement. It <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, this is five years now. <laughs> you know why that's funny to me is because um, both of our kids, have, we have this one plant that we love that we bought when we had first moved in together, me and Ronan. And uh, Rome used to just pull the dirt out of Bob. His name is Bob. And now Aria started pulling the dirt out of Bob's big planter. And we always say to the kids jokingly, you know, Bob's been around longer than you guys. So you guys need to pay it some respect. Yeah. Your older brother. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, they're living things in our house too. Um, what is your favorite dish from your childhood? Oh, somewhere in there, my mother she started making this. It's like this hybrid sort of a Thai dish. She was make she do she would do chicken thighs browned with coconut milk, some like natural peanut butter, and a ton of red chili or mm-hmm. probably sriracha. And I've yet to be able to duplicate the feeling of this and she would do it on a Friday night early in the year at the cottage and she would do it in her like her crock pot or whatever that 
thing is that she now has. And they would go up to the cottage before me on a Friday morning or Thursday, and she would make it like around noon on a Friday because I'm a bit of a wild card as to when I'm even going to show up. So they couldn't play in like a barbecue or do anything like that because I'll be like, yeah, sure, I'll be up there soon. I fucking show up two hours later. <laughs> so she would do this. So it's not really my childhood, but I, I I can remember this during different phases of my life. And she just kept getting better and better and better at it. And it was just this glorious chicken on a giant thing of not even just like, you know, jazz and rice out of a Chinese steamer. This was like buttered basmati rice, mm. which is a huge thing in a pan. And it was just, I mean, I cannot even imagine how many calories in this thing, but it was just so fucking good. I've, and I've tried to duplicate it. Just, I just can't do it because she doesn't, she's one of those cooks who never writes a thing down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different every time, but she always nails this and she gets this really great sort of crust when she browns the chick like the, the chicken thighs it's always skin on mm-hmm. and the way she browns the chicken thighs and it would just further sort of you know all those coconut milk and peanut butter sort of molecules that stick to this browned chicken skin mm-hmm. and it was just fucking incredible that's and when you tell me yeah that's that's what's for dinner tonight i'm like yeah, okay number one i'm taking my time getting up there because the longer I wait, the better it is. <laughs> and it was just like in the winter, like, you know, May at, at, on Georgian Bay on the middle of an island in the middle of nowhere is fucking cold. Yeah. And there's nothing better than when you arrive and you unpack all your crap and you sit down for a giant big plate of that stuff. It was just, yeah, next level. Wow. Now, you know, I'm 50, so that feels like my childhood, but that's like my, my late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, from when I was a kid with, the, you know, the, the fish sticks for breakfast. In between that, and there, I, I'm, I I saw your questions. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm struggling to remember a dish in the middle. I and mean, I've been those thinking smells about so it. pretty good. They both, they put up, but I'm like, there has to be a dish in the middle that I'm missing, that I'm forgetting. Now, my stepfather, Tom, we had this cottage up in Lake of Bays. And I had built this. So there's a sense of pride in this thing, too. We built this deck. And on the corner of the deck, which faced out over the lake, we hand-built an eight-foot-high sort of support structure slash barbecue. So we built the, the, like the, you know, if you're picturing a deck coming off of a house mm-hmm. in the corner that's furthest away from the house, instead of just like a pillar, we built it at a stone and the top part of the stone sort of morphed into this barbecue. Mm-hmm. And it was the most inefficient barbecue in the planet, but it was always just like charcoal and some wood in this thing. Mm-hmm. And he would do this flank steak. Like my mom would marinate it all day and he would barbecue this flank steak just over open charcoal on this open big, you know, bloody grill thing that he built by hand. And he's got, he had one of his buddies, you know, weld a cast iron grill for him that fit this thing. It was massive. Mm-hmm. And Tom is not a cook at all. Like, like, in fact, like if there was some sort of like, you know, global catastrophe or war, we got invaded, you know, and he was like, you ended up on Tom's team where he was a cook. Everyone's dying. Like no <laughs> one's going to survive. He's not a good cook. But I can remember back into the mid eighties, that man could crush a flank steak on that open grill. Like they were so good. Like the flanks, it's not, I mean, like flank steak is just like, it was like, oh, I love flank steak. No, you don't. No, you don't. People settle for flank steak. That man could crush a flank steak. <laughs> I actually made flank steak tonight for dinner. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but it's like, okay, I want to have something super lean. Like if you're thinking of a flank steak, always go and get a bavette. Because a bavette has got these nooks and crannies and it's got this crust that forms on the outside of it. Yeah. And it still has the same sort of lean qualities. Like anything you're looking for in a flank steak, a bavette does so much better. See, I like what I do with a flank steak is I marinate it in a really lemony chimichurri, so which I find kind of helps to break down some of the flank steak and that on top of a bed of lettuce with like some avocado and some sort of soft cheese is just like, to me, that's just so delicious because then you get that creaminess. So, so just next time you're going to think of doing that, just go, whoop, you're going to go to the left a little bit and grab the bavette okay. and do it with a full bavette. Not go, go to a butcher that leaves the bavette in its entirety. Okay. And not slice it up in all these stupid pieces. Like a bavette kind of looks like, you know, like a giant skate. It's like it's like this sort of half moon, super, super thick in the middle. And the the, towards the edges it gets thin. Like a full real bavette is phenomenal. And I'm telling you, anytime you want to cook a flank steak, grab a bavette. It's just as lean, but it's the texture is so different. Okay. And it's a, a lot more flavorful. Regardless. Tom could crush a flank steak on that open pit. (laughs) That was just amazing. And I still remember those nights, like pretty much every Saturday night, they would have a flank steak the size of a coffee table 
um, you know, on the, like on that grill. Yeah. And it was like, pipe, like you'd have to get the, that thing, like the window to cook something on that barbecue that we built. Like you had 20 minutes tops. Like it was like, like tons of charcoal, but you know, typically barbecues have a lid that contains mm-hmm. the heat, slows down the maturing of the charcoals and all this stuff. Yeah. This was just open. There was no lid. There's nothing. It was just on the lake. So you just no, no, breathe. The wind was fr- crushing in off the lake. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, this, this charcoal is just going to burn out so fast. And so like you got the, there was no backing to the thing at all. So the wind would <laughs> be coming in and pushing up the, like all the, all the ash. I'm sure and it smelled the, delicious. It, what's that? I'm sure it smelled delicious in the air. It was incredible. Breathing like, all I'm over telling the place. You, like that, that thing was like, you know, again, like I can still remember those flank sticks. I'm like, you know, those were perfect. That's good. And what would you say is, was sort of like your celebration food growing up? Celebration? Like for your Easy. birthday when you're like, okay, yeah. I want this. Hands down. That's a, that's a easy, and it's still, it's a legendary dish that is still made to this day on birthdays. It's called the daisy cake. Mm-hmm. So my mom makes a daisy cake. It's a ring cake with her own homemade icing. The secret to that icing, I'm pretty sure it's still mayonnaise mm-hmm. and the chocolate icing, which is fucking phenomenal. Or that's in the cake, sorry. And, but she would go out and handpick daisies and put it on the cake. Oh, that's so sweet. You know, at certain points when we were young, there was like probably fucking, you know, you know, quarters and loonies in there, which is <laughs> insane that people put money into a fucking cake. But, <laughs> yeah. but we all still, uh, if we happen to be at the cottage during our son, during, during our birthday, there's no one, no one's getting off that island alive unless, uh, unless one of us has got a daisy cake. That's so fun. And you have two kids. So growing up, what would you say was sort of like your favorite dish to make for them or a dish that they regularly requested? Uh, pasta vongole. Mm. Often. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to love my paella. Mm-hmm. And now they both are sick of it. So they don't like me making it. Um, so I love what's called, you know, lovingly called peasant food. Mm-hmm. Uh, paella, carbonara, you know, things where it's really super, super, super simple. Mm-hmm. to never perfect and the half of the joy is just trying to perfect them all the time mm-hmm. so paella and carbonara and sourdough bread are those three things for me mm-hmm. and i used to love making them paella because it's like that is one hell of a skill my favorite way to do it now is i'll start in the morning and i'll grill a rabbit a whole rabbit mm-hmm. on the barbecue like get some nice char on it then i'll quarter it and i'll go into a big stock pot on the barbecue which i'll keep feeding the fire Mm-hmm. And then I'll just throw in, you know, I'll throw in some onions and I'll braise that for probably six, seven hours. Oh, wow. Pull it off, cool it down, strain the stock, pull the flesh off the rabbit, leave the hinds, and then go through a normal process with like, you know, chorizo and, maybe, you know, squid or something, you know, escargot. But it's, <clears throat> it's, it's one of my favorite things in the world to make. I used to love making it for them and they just one day just woke up, like, yeah, we don't want that anymore. I'm like, oh, fuck this thing. <laughs> I mean, that sounds delicious. Um, I haven't had paella in years. That sounds really good. Yeah, I'll do it like once or twice, a, like once or twice a quarter for sure. Mm-hmm. Like at least once every three months, I'll do it. I have several mm-hmm. different paella pans. I just absolutely love it. I always have some like when I find like really good chorizo somewhere in the city because not everyone makes good chorizo. I'll just buy it free. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to, hard find. to find. There was a great brand in the city that did uh, like the perfect chorizo for for uh, for paella, and then. You know, the mm-hmm. health inspectors found these guys and made them change the recipe because it was just not quite kosher the way they were doing it. And um, they, had, mm-hmm. they had zero preservatives in it and they had to add that in. It just completely changed. I mean, it's still good, but it's not it's not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And so I typically always have the ingredients here just in case. I just like them out walking around. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like I've definitely got th- three different types of high quality bomba rice in the cover waiting just for <laughs> stuff. Waiting for everything to line up. <laughs> Typically, it's a summer thing for me. I just bought some incredible um, Portuguese uh, uh, squid, so I know that I'm I'm going to be doing one soon. I, today, I just bought those. The really nice Portuguese mm. olive oil that I've never tried before. It was actually delicious. So, uh, yeah, yummy. So they they are they're really into pastas, and um, you know, it started off with vongole, and it quickly morphed into carbonara. Carbonara is. I'll make that at least once a month. And that is a never, that is the dish. That is the dish mm-hmm. that I strive to make the best version of it. And, uh, I know I'll, I'll never. Perfect it. <laughs> I mean, carbonara is definitely a favorite of mine and our household yeah. for sure. You've been, I've been to some restaurant once and it was like, 
I ordered carbonara and I sat down. It was like this weird Italian restaurant where you sort of walk up and order and you, they cook it and then you sit down and, get, and I'm like, it was supposed to be like this restaurant, oh, this restaurant's from Italy. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I got like one bite. I'm like, what the fuck? And I go and I look up on the fucking board and I'm like, do you put cream in this? And they're like, yeah. And I go, oh. what? part of not Italy are you from? Because that's definitely like, you would be <laughs> shot in Italy. I got into a fight in fucking, <laughs> during the pandemic, when it first opened up, I went with a business associate, we went for dinner and it was, what's that Italian restaurant in Cumberland in Yorkville on the south side? Oh, um, uh, uh, Vitalis or something? Uh, Bellagio. Uh, Bellagio? Something. It's on the north side of Cumberland, just west of Old York Lane on like, and it's got like a patio upstairs fuck what's it called anyhow i'll never go there um, again because i go in there and i'm like yeah. and it's like clearly an italian restaurant now none of the servers seem to be italian so i'm like this is questioning i'm questioning this you know this is not something's mm-hmm. going on here and i go mm-hmm. guys i'm really in the mood for a carbonara could you do a carbonara for me and they're like yeah 100 percent. and i go do you guys do it with guanciale and they're like yeah perfect and i go oh j- i know i don't have to say this but so you guys you're not putting cream in it. They go, oh no, no, there's 100% cream. I go, okay, forget it. Like, oh, that's not carbonara. So no, they're like, four yeah. waiters came over to argue with me. And I'm like, none <laughs> of you have been to Italy. You've definitely never been to Rome because yeah. you will get literally drawn and quartered in Rome if you say this. There's just no fucking way. Like, you guys put Parmesan in it. Like, Romans yeah. would kill you for not putting Pecorino in it. Like, get out of my face. Yeah. Like, I'm not like I'm going to suffer through the rest of my dinner and then I'm never coming back here ever. <laughs> I remember one time I was in Rome speaking to a Roman, like at a party or something like a Roman person. And I was saying, Oh, how do you make carbonara? And you know, he was saying, and he was Pecorino and he goes, you know, this is a secret. And he like lowered his voice and embarrassingly said, like, I put a little bit of Parmesan just cause I like it a little bit creamier, but like, you can't tell anybody that because it should yeah. just be Pecorino. No, I, I would argue <laughs> that Parmesan's totally allowed and Pecorino cause, mm-hmm. and here's why person I think we don't get access to the best Pecorino in this, in this country. Definitely not in this city. You go, mm-hmm. sorry, cheese boutique have the mm-hmm. best Pecorino, but you go into like most stores outside of the cheese boutique will have a decent parma- Parmesan Reggiano. It's hard to find mm-hmm. really good Pecorino outside of the cheese boutique. So yeah. Pecorino it in Italy is a totally different animal. Completely different than what mm-hmm. you get in this pedestrian bullshit you get at some regular store here. <laughs> if you can even find Pecorino. I've definitely had difficulties finding Pecorino at the average grocery yeah, store Yeah, like the Farms and... and n- Festival and college, um, cheese magic. Cheese magic actually has some great pecorino. Yeah, it's hard. It's not. It's hard to find good pecorino. But again, there's like a ton of great Parmesan Reggiano. But but still, even like most Italians would be like, well, roll their eyes at Romans going, you fuckers with your pecorino and carbonara. Like you can, like it's just it's questionably better. Tastes better with Parmesan Reggiano. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite snack oh. food? So, uh, yeah, I love junk food, but I won't buy it because I, I can't have it in the house because I'll eat it all. No. Makes sense. So, and I mean, you usually have like a fresh loaf of bread, which yeah, is pretty so, good. So food. that's what I try to do is like I'll make bread or I'll go to Blackbird, buy a great loaf there. And then I'll have several different types of like, you know, triple cream brie or brie de mao. That's what I try to, if I'm going to snack on something that my daughter mm-hmm. and I are the worst because we'll sit and smoke joints together and then... <laughs> like she'll look at me and I'm like, no, she's looking at me and go, no, and she'll order something on Uber Eats. And I'm like, stop it. So what? So what? <laughs> Nothing on Uber Eats is as good as your cooking. So no, why would she do that? because we've already had my cooking and now it's like, she's like, let's order some crepes or a <laughs> thing of ice cream or something. So what I, how I battle oh, that yeah, is, okay. is I fucking love ice cold oranges, navel oranges. The secret to buying an orange is, when you pick up an orange, it should feel heavier than it looks. Okay. Because if it feels light, all the moisture has already it's escaped out of the orange. So you want an orange That's that a good tip. feels heavier than it looks like it should. That's how you pick up. When you pick up oranges, okay. don't look at any coloring or anything like that. It's just got to feel heavier than it should be. That's a giant juicy orange. So I typically have like, like okay. between six to ten of those in the fridge. And if I'm like drunk or high... I'll like think, oh yeah, I'm going to order like a Nutella crepe on Uber Eats. And then I pause. I'm like, no, Pot Dan, you idiot. 
go to the fucking fridge <laughs> and like and have one of your oranges that are sitting there and they're delicious. And even if you go crazy and eat three of them, they're like 80 calories each as opposed to like an 800 calorie yeah. metallic grape that I would have in the middle of the night. If I had smoked, so, yeah. So, question: Do you peel your oranges, or cut. do you um, cut them? Yeah. Cut them, quarter yeah. cut them. You know, one through the middle with the the ends on the sides, and then top down. So, I started. I can't remember what it's called when you completely like de-skin it, de-peel it. What's that called? Segmenting. That's I want to segment. Waste of time. So, I started so doing that for my. Time. So I started doing that for my kid when he was really little because you're not like when they're so little they're not supposed to have the skins. But now he refuses to eat any citrus fruit unless it's oh segmented. <laughs> See, what you've done to yourself. So, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a problem. But he loves oranges, so like, and I want to encourage him eating fruit. So it's just me standing at the kitchen counter segmenting like four or five oranges because now that Ronan sees me do it for Rome, he's like, "Oh, this is so good! Can I have one too?" And then Arya wants one, and then you know, might as well since I'm at it, might as well segment another one for the yeah. salad later. You know, like so, you know, it's fuck, you know, <laughs> like I love oranges so much, and like oh, I already want one now, but like if I don't have them. Like I'm in trouble. Like I'm going to like, I'm going to snack out on something. Mm -hmm. The other thing I do is like a fail safe is midnight cereal. I have like oat milk in the fridge Mm -hmm. and I have like a box of honey nut Cheerios and I'll like, I'll crush crush a bowl of that. So we just ordered a bunch of magic spoon. No, what's that? That sounds amazing. What is that? So good. So it's all of your favorite childhood cereals, but in essentially like a Cheerio shape. So there's one that tastes like Lucky Charms, one that tastes like peanut butter, one that tastes like... Chocolate and but it's no carbs. It's all protein. Oh, I've been retargeted by this stuff on Instagram. I've seen this. Yeah, because I was talking yeah, to my buddy Ben about delicious. cereal because he's obsessed with cereals. He just had his birthday last week, and everyone he knows brought by cereal. He has like thirty boxes of new cereals, and they all know they go buy him like the U.S. version of Lucky Charms and all this type of crap. And I was talking yeah. to him about cereal for an hour, and then for a week, I've been retargeted by cereal ads on freaking instagram and that was the number one ad was for that cereal mm-hmm. and i thought it was just because magic of the ex-fiance because she's like you know the workout queen and i'm like why am i getting retargeted mm-hmm. for protein shit still but she's not even around so like i'm not talking <laughs> about protein with anybody like, it's constant like protein powder this protein yeah. powder that and that's what i thought it was from but that's what it was from it's because of i was talking to yeah fucking Mulroney with about his stupid cereals yeah. So Ronan's favorite is the one that's like the Fruit Loops knockoff. It tastes exactly like Fruit Loops. And then there's one that's the, I think it's called the Frosted, but it's essentially Lucky Charms, which is my guilty pleasure. I always have a box of Lucky Charms hidden in the house. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. 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 So good. I, I recommend you. There's like a starter pack and you get like four, you know, at a discounted rate, four boxes. So Shall holler at that. Oh, yeah, that's already done. See, <laughs> so cereal at night is the only way to have cereal. Like I look at the boxes of cereal in the morning. I'm like, mm-hmm. what kind of idiot, what kind of idiot would eat Ugh. these in the morning? These are so this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm not gonna eat that. So the only thing I would eat for breakfast, and I rarely ever eat breakfast, like I'll eat breakfast at noon or two, mm-hmm. is just eggs. That's that's my go-to first meal of the day is eggs. Like I probably have 40 to 50 eggs in the fridge. And that's just a tiny bit of olive oil or a tiny bit of butter, four loose scrambled eggs. And just, I, I can do like the, like the wet eggs I do on the weekend. Like it takes 45 minutes to fucking make them. You treat them like risotto. That's great. You know, you mm-hmm. impress people and it's kind of mind blowing, but there's nothing. I love four eggs in olive oil cooked in about a minute with. Hmm. Yeah. That's the way Ron like says. Still kind of loose. Sort of still loose like pretty scramble. wet. But I cook, I do them all in a minute mm-hmm. and it's fast. That's my favorite way to do it. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, speaking of late night snacks induced usually by munchies, <laughs> what are you up to now? What are you working on? Oh, well, you know, I think I've made several different references to weed. So I have a, can- I have a yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, I have a cannabis company and it's been through, like, yes. I'll spare you the whole long story, but, you know, we've been running it for about four years. And originally it would start it off as like, you know, sort of media and content and consumer positioning. And we rolled into, okay, we're going to, you know, we joined the Tokyo smoke team for a year. Then we rolled into a retail strategy and then they announced a lottery system and we kind of got screwed over for 18 months. 
And we had built all these media assets along the way, and we had this massive audience. And most people don't know that we have this massive audience because it's all under different brand names that most people probably don't know we even own them. Mm -hmm. But I had this idea for reinventing e-commerce over text messages just for cannabis. We built it during the pandemic. I brought in um, my cousin and really good friend, uh, Tim Sullivan, to help. And he ended up, you know, we ended up building something absolutely incredible. So he joined the company and we, you know, restructured our cap table and all this crap. And we built this thing called Tote Text, which is starting off as like this daily, you know, cannabis discovery platform where every day you get this one text that shows, hey, here's this cool new product. Here's what it's all about. Do you want it? And yes or no. And you just type in the number of units you want and then it's just on the way. But what it really is, is we're building this sort of trust and confidence to shift the way people buy things online. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. our platform is super simple to use. Like we trick people into filling out their checkout cart the day they sign up. And that's the trick. And most Mm -hmm. people don't really realize it until I explain it. I go, yeah, there's no checkout cart. I go, yeah, because you filled it out the day you signed up. And they're like, oh, fucking right. I gave you my address and my credit card and everything. Because the worst thing about Mm e-commerce is like, okay, here's a product page. Here's a cool product. We'll convince you to buy the product. And then we start saying, oh, hey, do you want to buy anything else? You add stuff to cart. Then you go get your credit card. You enter in your address. You pick a shipping option. And it's like six, seven, you know, eight different steps just to get to the end. And that's where you start to lose people. Mm-hmm. They just abandon their check, their check. You know, fuck this. It's too much work. I'm out. Or someone likes something on Instagram. I'm going to go check that out. Then I forget about it. <clears throat> or my kids are calling me or the phone rings or something. We turned it into this instantaneous experience where here's a cool product. Mm-hmm. How many do you want? Three. Done. It's charging your card. It's on the way. And next thing you know, like within an hour, you've got it in your hand. Is that your door? Just like the old school weed dealer, right? Yeah. And but we built a legal one. But what <laughs> yeah. we're really doing is training people to trust us because what's coming mm-hmm. is completely reinvented e-commerce, where instead of going to Google and searching for something you want, <clears throat> ending up on a website and doing the whole thing I just described, now you text us. Mm-hmm. So really soon, like next month, you'll be able to text us a phrase and say, Hey, what pre-rolls do you have? Or what vape pens are good? Or what's the best-selling beverage this week? And we word mine that and we start pulling in data and say, here's our top five selling pre-rolls. And here's a video review of each one of them. Which one do you want? Or, hey, or you can just text us the word reorder. And it goes, here's the last five things you bought. Which one are you talking about? Number three. Great. How many do you mm-hmm. want? Five. Done. It's on the way. So what we're trying to do is reinvent e-commerce because e-commerce 20 years ago was innovative. Now it's just this thing that's kind mm-hmm. of boring. And you're getting... Well, what you're sort of describing, I love is almost like a super elite concierge at a hotel. It is exactly that. And we were going to try to do it with a bot, meaning we're going to try to use AI. And I'm like, you know what? People always know when they're talking to AI Mm -hmm. and they get frustrated. If we make one mistake, they bounce. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do live people. It's going to start off with AI. Like if someone texts us and says, hey, what about this? We'll start the process with AI, but while that's occurring, one of our reps is getting notified. Someone has started a process. It pops up on a screen, and they'll watch it. And as soon as it's like one or two questions have been answered, and got like the one, the first two or three questions mm-hmm. are always going to be the same. Of course, yeah. So AI can handle that, but then once that's done, then the human jumps in and says, "Okay, you know, hi, I'm." so-and-so let me help you find something what are you looking for what do you want to feel what do you want to experience and the way our platform works is that person's tied to a store so they start chatting with us we pull the inventory from that location in that store so we know what they have in stock right now so we're not going to try to sell them something that's not in stock mm-hmm. and we build a new text for them and say okay here's your custom text and that pops in on their phone all you gotta do is respond yep confirm that you want all this yes done you know it's gonna it's gonna go out tomorrow morning at 10 a.m amazing so that's that's the grand plan that we're working towards. And uh, we've got a very cool thing. So by the time this probably airs, this will be public knowledge. So we just were the first cannabis company in the world to be awarded what's called the short code. And the short code is a phone number we text from. Mm-hmm. Like there's a long code, which is like a regular number, like 416, 212, whatever, with the rest of the number. Mm-hmm. And there's toll-free numbers. And then there's short codes, which is like typically a four to six digits. Yeah. When someone texts you from a short code, 
that thing's been whitelisted. So every carrier has signed off that that's cool, that company's cool, they can text whatever they want, we won't filter them or throttle their messaging. Oh, wow. We were awarded the very first one that any cannabis company's ever got in the world. Amazing. So we are whitelisted. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. We're so happy. Like we, we work so, so hard to get this. And all the carriers are coming on board, it looks like. And regardless, we've got, you know, several key important ones on board. Mm-hmm. Hopefully all the rest of them come as well. But the number though is just fucking classic. We picked the greatest number. We, like I'm like, you know what? I want like that pizza pizza. I want that nine six seven eleven eleven number mm-hmm. that people will remember for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So we went with 247420. And we got it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so we got the number. So it's just one of those things that you see it on a billboard on the side of the road or something. It's like you will not forget yes. that. Yes. Oh, that's so fantastic. you'll be able to just you'll be able to just text the word start to 247420. And next thing you know, you're on the list. And we're also going to build a whole education platform on it. So the you know, the carries want us to do this because and luckily, I've been building education content for four years. So I have thousands of articles, tons of videos. Like, you need anything, you can text 247420 and we'll give you an answer. That's amazing. I yeah, love it's that. really it's super that's so fun. Exciting. So, how can people follow that journey? So, that's at toke.text on Instagram? No, no, no toketext.com. Or, okay. yeah, just look up toketext on Instagram. Toke, yeah, toke.text on Instagram. And, um, you know, I like, I hope Instagram lets us stick around forever, but Instagram is notorious for just deleting cannabis accounts, just random ones. So mm-hmm. by the time, you know, who knows? Instagram is on the decline. I've, well, I've, you know, it's one yeah. of the most shareable platforms. I mean, we, we've got our eye on TikTok and we're, of course we have one of the biggest cannabis YouTube channels in the world. Like we have 150,000 plus subscribers. So it's, it's, you know, we're, we, we know what we're doing on YouTube. TikTok we see as something to you know, that we could potentially move over to, but it, you can't really reshare things on TikTok. TikTok's, you know, more of just this sort of linear community where I produce content, it, ju- it jumps into this feed and people consume it, that's it. But mm-hmm. for you to share, like you got to stitch things or duet things to really reshare con- original content, you can't post it to a story, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we love Instagram so much because we do our video every day and then mm-hmm. people share it to their story or they get a, you know, they get a delivery at home and they're so impressed, they share it to their story. TikTok doesn't have that. So you know, it's a little linear right now. Who knows what it's going to morph into? Mm-hmm. Um, and their terms of service is just bizarre. Like, I don't know how many times I watch, you know, TikTok videos and you scroll through and there's someone crying because TikTok's deleted their entire account. They're crying from their backup account. Like, why is it gone? Because I, you know, I yelled at a racist and like TikTok deleted everything. Like TikTok's fucking crazy. Like I don't even know what their terms of service is. Like they just, they yeah. just, it's so random. Yeah. All of these platforms are, I call it building a house in somebody else's land. Yes. It's, you are at like, you will not hear me really complain. Like we've had, we had one video taken down about a week ago mm-hmm. and we were so pissed off because it was like Homelander from the boys, Anthony Starr. Uh, you know, he's a customer and he bought something on, on Totex and he posted it and it got crazy engagement. The guy's got like a million followers. Mm-hmm. And his castmate, um, Aaron Moriarty, who plays Starlight, she also did the same thing. And she's got a million followers. And it's like, fuck, we we're like, we we're so happy. And then we're like, oh, we're so mad because we think, to be honest, it could have been that, but there was also some Reddit activity that on that same day. But regardless, Instagram, someone reported us. It was most likely someone from Reddit mm-hmm. and they deleted the video. And I'm <sighs> like, see, fucking Instagram, man. Like, they, they, there's no telling when they're going to just fucking do this to you. So yeah. I always say to you know, any startup that I'm also mentoring, like, don't get too excited about your Instagram account. You're built a house in somebody else's land and they can take it away from you anytime they want. Totally. And, you know, so build, always build your own content, build your own funnels because, you know, you having your content on a big platform, you know, hopefully it sticks around forever. But if someone wakes up and doesn't like it, they'll just take it away from you. Yeah. Which is definitely, you know, I think a lot of people forget that. And then they build, you know, their life on these platforms with no, n- nothing that they own. So yeah, it's a good tip. And watching someone who has, that's their main thing mm-hmm. when they get silenced and you find them crying on their backup account. Yeah. Like I get it. <laughs> like, it just feels like you're in a, like, you know, they feel like they're in outer space. Like we lost our Weebox account last year and I was pissed. I'm like, fuck, we only had like 7,000 followers in the thing. 
but it worked hard to get it. They were all organic. There was no bot followers. Yeah. And we didn't even have pictures of fucking weed. It was just the girls in hemp t-shirts hanging out on the beach. Yeah. And they just deleted it <laughs> one day. And I figured out why, because I own the trademark for Weedbox mm-hmm. and everyone else keeps putting up these Weedbox accounts. So I just report them all. Yeah. And Instagram takes them down. But what they decided to do was delete anything Weedbox and they deleted uh, us. Hmm. So it's gone. Like gone, gone. That's it. Oh yeah. It's never coming back. Oh wow. Brutal. Yeah. Well, that sucks. But if totally. people want to get at you on Instagram or anywhere, where can they get at you? You can get at me on any platform, Jeremy Podfield. Amazing. And yeah, I've I pretty much grabbed my username. There's a bodybuilder out there, like some crazy Mr. Olympia bodybuilder who's Jeremy Podfield underscore. Uh, <laughs> and like this Hawaiian guy. And I am the bane of his existence. And he is like, we've talked many times, like, fuck you. You constantly get the username. And I'm like, dude, like, you now, like, we just so we're, you know, you must know this. Like, yeah. forever, I'm going to be Jeremy Poppin and you're going to be Jeremy Poppin underscore. Because if you ever manage to beat me to the punch on something, I'll just grab Jeremy Poppin underscore and I'm going to steal all your clout. He's like, fuck, you're right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'll just take it. And he's like, you're totally, I go, you have to grab your public underscore because like, they're just going to know the two of us as that's the way it is. Yeah. Because people tag me in this guy's post every day. <laughs> that's Asking funny. me bodybuilding questions. My favorite <laughs> one was like, hey, what was your biggest disappointment of 2018? I go, well, I drank a fifth of whiskey and fell off a boat and I didn't feel good. And they're like, and I know they're asking about like, you know, like I didn't drink enough protein powder or whatever. Like it was like, they wanted some bodybuilding answer and i gave them some molly crew answer and they were just like who are you and i go who the fuck do you think i am (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious you tag me yeah that's so funny okay well i want to wrap up and i don't want to take too much of your evening uh let you get to those oranges so we are gonna well i might have a bit more whiskey to drink first but i will get sounds good i might pour myself a glass as well um so we'll finish up with some rapid fire questions okay Uh, are you ready sure Okay, water or land? Water. Apple or pineapple? Pineapple. Favorite drink? Glass of bourbon and ice. If you, so I want you to imagine you're in a cafe anywhere in the world. What city are you in? I'm, I'm in Paris. <laughs> are you inside or outside? I'm outside. What are you drinking? What time of the day is it? Whatever time you'd like. Well, it would start with a coffee and I probably wouldn't leave and I'm going to end with wine. Okay. And are you eating something? When you're having your coffee, what are you eating? I'm eating pastries. I'm eating croissants. And then when you're having your wine, what are you eating? <sighs> wow. I mean, duck confit. Okay. And are you with anybody? Most likely. <laughs> and if you were to pick a food to describe your personality, what would it be? Carbonara. Not perfect, <laughs> but striving for perfection. Amazing. No cream. Hold the cream. No cream. Extra bacon. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I had so much fun tonight. Me too. This was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. 